Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. We are on the side of science. We want to have the full and complete and honest and forthright description of prenatal human beings to be the one that gets out there. We want to call out the gaslighting, anti-science, dishonest approach. For liberal democracy to work, it requires self-government. And for people to be self-governed, they have to have virtue. And virtue in a kind of a classical tradition and understood even at our founding, the source of virtue was found in religion. But when we open our eyes in death, we will see Jesus. And on that face is a smile, not a scowl. When we close our eyes in death, we will open them and our ears will be filled with the hymns of the angels. A lot of Christians talk about worship as us serving God, but the Lutheran emphasis is that God serves us through his word, through the sacrament. This is Will from Michigan, and I'm a Lutheran high school teacher and football coach. And I love beginning my day listening to Issues Etc. All right, guys, let's go. When you think about suffering in Holy Scripture, the mind usually goes immediately to Job. He is, uh, yes, a big example of individual suffering. But also in that club is another prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, what can we learn from him, his life, his times, and what the Lord said and revealed through him about the place of suffering in the Christian life? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Veterans Day, Friday, November the 11th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to spend the first hour talking about suffering in the book of Jeremiah with Dr. Reed Lessing, author of several books, including Overcoming Life's Sorrows, Learning from Jeremiah. Then an hour from now, we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, talking with Dr. Carl Fikancher about Jesus foretelling the destruction of the temple, wars and persecution, and the destruction of Jerusalem. Joining us to discuss suffering in the book of Jeremiah, Dr. Reed Lessing. He's professor of theology and ministry and director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota. And he's author of several books, including Overcoming Life Sorrows, Learning from Jeremiah. Dr. Lessing, welcome back. Good to be here, Todd. Who was the prophet Jeremiah, and how was he especially called to suffer for the sake of God's Word? We know a lot about the prophet Jeremiah, perhaps more than any other person in the Old Testament, for any number of reasons, first of which being the fact that Jeremiah tells us a lot about himself, not only his ups and downs, highs and lows, but also what's going on in his inner life. So we know a lot about Jeremiah's uh, external adventures, as well as how he felt about them and what he said to God through prayers. We also know a lot about Jeremiah because it's the longest book in the Bible, word for word. Uh, there's a lot there, a lot there to learn about this uh, wonderful prophet called Jeremiah. I'm working on a commentary for Concordia Publishing House on the Book of Lamentations. I'm about a year into that project. And 
The best way for me right now to answer that question, who was Jeremiah, is to let Jeremiah answer that in just a few words. In Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah's talking about himself. In the first two chapters, he's talking about Zion, the uh, personified Jerusalem, uh, and he's describing the events of the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem in 587 BC. That's in Lamentations 1 and 2. But in chapter 3, Jeremiah shows solidarity with the suffering of his people as he chronicles his own suffering. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says he is a gever. So that's the, the Hebrew word often translated strong man or mighty. The Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is called El Gabor, mighty God, Geber, Gabor. Our listeners can probably hear the resemblance of those two words. So Jeremiah is a strong man. I mean, strong in any number of ways, primarily strong spiritually. But he's also, it goes on in Lamentations 3 verse 1, he calls himself afflicted. The Hebrew word there sounds like this, ani, which means uh, afflicted, persecuted, suffering, sometimes it's translated poor, needy, desolate, beggar. I know you like that word. Versin Bettler, hoc es vorum. I love how you use those last words of Luther in a lot of your writings and what you do on issues, etc. So those last words of Luther pick up what Jeremiah is in terms of his humility and his uh, need for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in his life. And then, uh, pressing into that a little bit more, we know that, among other things, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. And that comes from, actually, Lamentations 2.11, where he breaks down in weeping and tears and lamentations when he continues to listen to the suffering of his people. But then, at the end of chapter 1, Jeremiah 1, 18, God says, I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall. I mean, just think about that. Fortified city, iron pillar, bronze wall. So that's tough. That's the strong man of Lamentations 3, 1, right? Jeremiah is tough as nails. He is going to take his stand for the word of the Lord, come what may. But he's also tender, afflicted, you know, suffering. So I love these adjectives to describe Jeremiah. He's tender without surrender. That's what Jeremiah is as a person. And he's called to, to suffer for the sake of God's word. And Jeremiah is a book that just saturated with God's word. Let me just give you a few numbers here. Thus says the Lord appears 155 times in Jeremiah, more often than the rest of the Old Testament combined. The expression declares the Lord or oracle of the Lord appears 167 times in Jeremiah, counting for over 60% of all occurrences in the Old Testament. The word word comes over 90 times in Jeremiah. So Jeremiah by far is the, the prophet of the word of God. So he's ready to suffer, indeed all, suffer all for the sake of God's word, being strong and mighty, but uh, tender without surrender. What turning points in the history of God's people did Jeremiah witness? Wow, so many, so many. Jeremiah is going to live through the great reformation of King Josiah that 
is narrated for us in 2 Kings 22 and 23. Those were good times. Those were great times. They found a copy of the book of the law, whatever that was. Many people think it's the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, Jeremiah is a part of that uh, Josianic Reformation. Um, but then things begin to uh, go downhill very quickly when Josiah is killed, mowed down at the Battle of Megiddo in 609 BC by a pharaoh named Nico. So with the death of Josiah in 609 BC, things really begin to erode in Jeremiah's uh, country, Judah, the southern kingdom, and uh, in the place where he lives in Jerusalem. Another uh, huge event that he refers to five times in his book uh, would be the Battle of Carchemish in 605 BC, where Babylon is on the rise, defeats an Egyptian-Assyrian coalition. And with that, in 605 BC, the Battle of Carchemish, that then is going to exalt the great Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar who's actually the, uh, the second in the sequence of Babylonian kings. The founder of the kingdom is a, a man named Nabu-Polisar. That would be Nebuchadnezzar's father. But with the victory at Carchemish over the Egyptian-Assyrian coalition, Nebuchadnezzar is now king of the hill. And Jeremiah lives through that. And that's during the reign of Jehoiakim, and then Jeremiah is going to witness the, the death of Jehoiakim and the exile of Jehoiachin. And, and these names are endlessly confused, right? Just like Elijah and Elisha, right? So there's Jehoiakim, who is the guy in the black hat in the book of Jeremiah, who slices and dices the word of God in chapter 36. And Jeremiah then reconstituted it, uh, verbum dei manen in arternum, right? The word of the Lord endures forever. That is a wonderful narrative, saying just that in Jeremiah 36. So that's Jehoiakim. But then, moving along from Josiah to Jehoiakim to Jehoiachin, and Jehoiachin is then exiled in 597 BC, along with Ezekiel and other elites and artisans and governmental leaders. And then Jeremiah is going to have another go-round with the last Judean king, Zedekiah. And Zedekiah then is going to oversee the, the demise of the southern kingdom in August of 587 BC. So those are the, the main turning points in the history of God's people that Jeremiah is going to witness. And I would just accent that much of the gospel in the book of Jeremiah is going to hinge on this exiled king, Jehoiachin, who, as I said, is going to uh, be deported in 597 BC. We'll come back to him. How are Christians called to suffer? If we're looking at the book of Jeremiah, we're looking at the fact that believers in the Old Testament and New Testament are called to suffer for the sake of God's Word, God's Word. And let me press into that a little bit more by what I mean in terms of God's Word. In the first half of the book of Jeremiah, which is essentially chapters 2 through 24, with chapter 1 being an introduction to the book, 
Jeremiah talks about the loss uh, that happens with the death of Josiah and uh, the evil reign of Jehoiakim, etc. But then in chapter 25, that's the hinge chapter of the book. And once we get into the second part of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, like nowhere else in the Bible, starts talking about not just God's word, an abstract sense, that is to say, the word of the Lord came to me saying, right? We're not exactly sure how all that happened to prophets, right? But beginning in chapter 26, Jeremiah is going to start talking about the inscripturated word, the, the word actually written down on scrolls, the word inspired by the Spirit. Uh, and it's just fascinating. I'll, I'll give us just a, a quick overview of this. In chapter 26, he is um, facing an angry mob that wants him killed. And then of all things, some of Jeremiah's friends read, uh, <laughs> of all things, what we would call Micah chapter 3, at the end of Micah 3, verse 12, they actually read this. I'm, I'm referencing Jeremiah 26, verse 18, that says, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, etc. So this is someone who has a scroll of the prophet Micah, and Micah also predicted the overthrow of the Judean state, and that's what Jeremiah is being accused of, and the argument is exactly this. Micah is a book in our canon that we recognize as uh, Spirit-inspired, God's Word, and Jeremiah is simply saying the same thing as Micah. So this Word of God, this written Word of God on a scroll, vindicates Jeremiah, and he's saved. He's saved. As we would look at chapter 30, chapter 30, 30 through 33 would have uh, wonderful gospel promises in these so-called book of comfort uh, section in the book of Jeremiah, but it begins, uh, chapter 30, verse 3, this is what uh, Yahweh, the God of Israel, says, write in a book, write in a scroll, write in a scroll. This same idea comes, as I alluded to earlier in chapter 36, where Jehoiakim tries to destroy the, the written word of God, and uh, Jeremiah simply kind of dusts the... <laughs> problem off, and he uh, tells to his uh, manuensis or secretary scribe, Baruch, well, here, I'm going to dictate to you the scroll again that Jehoiakim had sliced and diced and burned. So again, a written document. And then at the end of the book, in chapters uh, 51 and 52, we have these long chapters or oracles against Babylon, and these oracles are to be written on a scroll on a scroll. And you can see that in uh, chapter 51, verses uh, 60 through 64. All of which is to say, how are Christians called to suffer? Using the book of Jeremiah, especially the second half, uh, we're called to suffer for the inscripturated word that points to, right, the Word made flesh, the incarnate Word. It points to the sacramental Word. We are called to suffer and take our stand upon this uh, Word of God that is uh, so powerfully present in the second half of Jeremiah. When you talk about overcoming, what do you mean? 
As I wrote this book, it's a combination of commentary and devotion. And essentially what I have is, um, it's not very original. I, uh, chapter one is Meet Jeremiah, and then I've got uh, 24 chapters that begin with the term overcoming, and then the last chapter is who overcomes. The idea being that as I track through Jeremiah, God gives Jeremiah his word. I'm, I'm kind of looking at my table of contents here. Confession, absolution, hope, worship, laments, the good shepherd, shalom, a new David, a renewed covenant. Obviously, I'm not going through all the titles of all the chapters of the book, but these are the gifts of God that God gives Jeremiah and, and us, readers of the text, so we can address life sorrows. And perhaps the best way to describe this would be Romans 8.37, where Paul says, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. This little preposition in is very important for any number of reasons in any number of books of the Bible. But as we're looking at Jeremiah, Jeremiah doesn't give us a recipe to go around life's disasters or over them or uh, dig underneath them, dig a tunnel, certainly not to deny them or numb ourselves, but to go in it and through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So when I'm talking about overcoming, it's not in a simplistic way. I just have enough faith and it'll be all right. <laughs> it's going back to that word in Romans 8, 37, in, in all of this, in the muck, the mire, the torture, the horror that Jeremiah experiences. We could call him a hypernikaomen, that's Paul's Greek in Romans 8, 37, a hyper-Nike person, right? Not that he... <laughs> ends at the at the end of the book unscathed. He's a broken man at the end of the book. I mean, he's he's forced into exile in Egypt against his will. So the the overcoming is is finally through the God who loves him, that is Jeremiah, and gives Jeremiah all these gifts uh, so that he can endure and uh, write this wonderful book for us. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest. We're talking about suffering in the book of Jeremiah on this Friday, January the 11th. He's author of several books, including Overcoming Life's Sorrows, Learning from Jeremiah. We'll talk about Christian worship and how God strengthens Christians in the midst of suffering next. What can we learn from our Lutheran forefathers on how to face the challenges of a culture openly hostile to Christianity? Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, has written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled For Such a Time as This. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. You'll also find Pastor Will Whedon's article on the monthly Psalter. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. 
deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. Historic St. Paul Lutheran Church in the heart of Austin, Texas, is glad to support the work of Issues Etc. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul, and I'm glad we're part of this effort. Issues Etc. for decades has been the premier voice of Lutheran doctrine and biblical teaching in all of the world, and we're glad to be a little part of making sure that the work continues. If you're ever in Austin, stop by and visit us. All the information is on the website, stpaulaustin.org. That's stpaulaustin.org. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about suffering in the book of Jeremiah with Dr. Reed Lessing. Dr. Lessing, in what ways does Christian worship, the proclamation of the word, the sacraments, strengthen Christians in the midst of their suffering? So wonderful question. And Jeremiah picks this up in several places in his book, but perhaps the most prominent place is in chapter 10, where he has a sustained discussion on idolatry, idolatry. The whole idea then that Jeremiah is getting at as a, as a good pastor is he realizes that when people go through uh, suffering, depression, loneliness, when their world uh, turns upside down, there's massive upheaval in the culture, uh, you name it, we've all probably been there to some degree or another. When all that happens, one temptation that we have is to look for healing, hope, love, acceptance, in all the wrong places. It's easy, it's tempting to follow false gods, pseudo-saviors, when your heart has a huge hole. Money, sex, influence, property, power, though are of little help when your world is falling apart. And that's what Jeremiah is trying to tell us, that idols will offer you everything, but in the end, idols deliver nothing. So in chapter 10, I call it, he takes us into a build a God workshop. Maybe some of our listeners have been to a build a bear workshop. They know how that goes. But this is a build a God workshop. And Jeremiah simply mocks and ridicules and holds in disdain all the false gods that surround Judah and Jerusalem in their time of sorrow, especially Canaanite fertility deities. Baal and Asherah and Anat. Baal was the god of deified sex and money. 
along with Asher and Anna, would be the deified god of violence. So the temptation might be when your your heart is bleeding to to turn to to these gods that offer quick fixes. Again, deified sex, deified money, deified violence. Jeremiah, though, says there's a better way, a, a lasting way. And he invites us then to come into the temple. And in his day, of course, is where God incarnationally and actually dwelt in the Solomonic temple. And, and their people would meet the living God, the God who comes to them with the forgiveness and grace and mercy. You see, what idols finally do, whether it's my church, writing books, other people, Christians have all kinds of very subtle idols, don't we? Whatever idol it is, that idol never knows the gospel, whether it's you know, power, pleasure, promotion, whatever. That idol, if that's where we're putting all our eggs in it, it always asks us this haunting question. Is that the best you can do? And then we think, well, no, maybe I can do a little bit more. Church attendance could go up. I could make more money. And, and this then will heal my hurt and bind me up together. If I just kind of do more for this idol. And Jeremiah says, no, 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 no. Idols only know law. Is that the best you can do? And Jeremiah points us to the God of the gospel, the God of the gospel who never, ever addresses us in the gospel. Is that the best you can do? Or you're not enough. Or if you do just a little bit more, <laughs> you might just finally make it. Yahweh, the God who dwells uh, in the Solomonic temple, is the God who provides sacrifices, right, for people, all pointing to the ultimate, one-time, definitive sacrifice of Jesus. So who am I worshiping when my life is undone? And we all have to be honest. We, we need confession absolution. Uh, and in that absolution is not only the promise of forgiveness and mercy, it's also pointing us to the God who, based upon no worthiness in us, will come with his healing and hope and begin to bind up what is broken. And all of this then is to say, what's the role of worship in the midst of suffering? It's in worship that we finally receive the gift of shalom, shalom, which is a huge word for Jeremiah. We think of shalom as peace, the absence of warfare. In the Old Testament, shalom means putting broken pieces back together again. And so just to wrap this uh, section up, as we think of worship and, and a broken and contrite heart, O God, that you will not despise, it's in the sacrament of the altar that we are encountered with and given shalom right? Uh, we know that uh, after the verba, the words of institution, the pastor says, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And then we sing the Agnus Dei. And the last part of Agnus Dei, you know, grant us your peace. We come to the communion table and we're dismissed in peace. And if we miss all that, we sing the song of Simeon, Lord, let us thou thy servant depart in peace. And if we've missed all of that, we have the ironic benediction the Lord bless you and keep you, etc., and grants you peace. All of that is the shalom of Jesus that is intended 
in any chapter of our life to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And Jeremiah, then, the most famous verse, perhaps, in the book, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to shalom you. That's the Hebrew word of Jeremiah 29, 11. Not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. So I need, I need, read Lessing needs, right, this strength that comes through the written word in Jeremiah, right, and then the sacramental word. And all of this is delivered in worship in worship is expressing grief and lament beneficial for the christian yes (laughs) we could go on the next question but i'll extrapolate on this a little bit most of our listeners know that uh, the bible has any number of what we often call laments right laments they start out early Rachel wants to die in Genesis 29 because she can't have children, right? Moses laments that uh, the program isn't going very well in chapter 5 of Exodus. Job laments deeply. Many psalms are psalms of lament. I said earlier, I'm trying to figure out these five chapters called the Book of Lamentations. So laments are great gifts in God's word. And what I do in this uh, chapter on laments is I give the reader a paradigm to take all these laments in the Old Testament and how do you kind of use them? How do you pray them? So I simply have a section where I spell out the word cares, cares. This is based on 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him, he cares for you. So if we would take like the book of Job, Psalms of Laments, and Laments in Lamentations, Jeremiah, break them all down and analyze them and categorize them, we would come up with this acronym CARES. So C, complain to God. That's, that's what these people do. They complain. There's this old song, right? It's me, it's me, oh Lord, stand in need of prayer. So it's me. Honest expressions of fear, anger, protest, right? God welcomes that. And then the appeal is to his character, his character. All these laments finally appeal to essentially what is given to us in Exodus 34, 6, and 7, that the God who made heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. So these people, they complain. Jeremiah complains in seven different laments that are peppered throughout chapters 11 through 20. But then he appeals to God's love, his character, or remind God of his promises, right? Uh, Luther famously talks about how when Melanchthon was sick enough to die, that, quote, I rubbed God prom- God's promises into his ears. So these lamenters, they remind God of his promises. God, you said you're faithful. God, you said you'd answer my prayers. So we have C, complain, A, appeal, R, remind, E, express trust in God's wisdom, right? In the things we don't understand. And then S, seek the body of Christ, right? We're, we're not 
ever intended to go through this Christian life alone, especially when we're overcome by life's sorrows. So we seek help from the body of Christ. We may uh, seek help from our pastor, a Christian counselor. So I find this very helpful. Cast all your cares on him. He cares for you. And here's one way, albeit kind of simple, to take these laments and begin to practice them in our own lives. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest. He's professor of theology and ministry and director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, author of the new book, Overcoming Life's Sorrows, Learning from Jeremiah. When we come back, what role do God's testing of the Christian play in the Christian life? that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes, dedicated customer service, and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House, listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. Logia Journal. The Confessional Dogmatic Series. The works of Kurt Marquardt and many other resources are all brought to you by Luther Academy. Did you know that during this time of COVID-19, your purchases and donations help Luther Academy supply these same resources to pastors around the world? Please consider helping us with this important need through your prayers and financial support. Learn how you can help by visiting lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois is hosting its annual Sausage Supper on Sunday, November 13th. Carry-out meals are available beginning at 11.30 Sunday morning until 5.30 Sunday evening. St. Paul Lutheran is located three miles off of Interstate 55 on Old Route 66. St. Paul Lutheran's Carry Out Sausage Supper, 11.30 a.m. through 5.30 p.m., Sunday, November 13th, in Hamill, Illinois. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about suffering in the book of Jeremiah with Dr. Reed Lessing. Dr. Lessing, what role does God's testing of the Christian play in the Christian life? It's massive. As uh, you know, I know, I'm sure our listeners know, this in large part is the Christian life in terms of sanctification. God is using all things, just to go back to the tried and true Romans eight twenty eight. not that all things are good, 
but he's using all things for good, right? Romans 8, 29, to conform us to the image of Jesus. How does that happen? That happens through tests, tests. Now, Jeremiah uses the word that's translated test. In Hebrew, it sounds like this, bakan, bakan, but it's more than... The, the kind of tests that we often think about, like a driver's license test, essay test, multiple choice test, that's not what Jeremiah means when he uses this word in 11.20, Jeremiah 11.20, and 20 verse 11. I, I, I want to make sure we've got these two uh, verses in mind, 11.20 and 20.11, because this word test, or in Hebrew, bakan, brackets the laments, the laments that appear only, right, in chapters uh, 11 through 20, as I said earlier, sprinkled throughout this section of the book. Bacon means to try and test metals, all right? And, and Jeremiah actually tells us this in chapter 6, verses 27 and following. See, I've made you a tester of metals, and my people the ore, that you may observe and test their ways, Etc. As that metaphor concludes uh, Jeremiah chapter 6. So if we're understanding test as God refining us as a tester of metals, which is what the Hebrew word bakan implies, then we begin to go back to texts like Romans 8.29 and understand, oh, he's making me more like Christ in my sanctification, right? Not justification. We <laughs> we love to distinguish between those two doctrines, right? So we're talking only about sanctification. In Christ, I'm righteous. I'm, I'm heaven-bound. I'm declared not guilty. Uh, that's justification. Sanctification, there's a whole lot of room to grow. And so God puts me into the test. There's this wonderful hymn in a Lutheran service book, How Firm a Foundation. And stanza four has uh, riveted me, at least since I have rediscovered this hymn the last couple of years, seeing it in church. But stanza four includes the phrase, your dross to consume, your goal to refine. That's what's going on in Jeremiah's life. That's the role of testing for us, that there's dross to consume, inordinate pride, lame excuses, disdaining judgment on other people. And by the way, I'm talking about my dross right now. This is just not like a list I'm making up. This is the dross I recognize in my life. And my test want to consume that, destroy that. But yet, the hymn goes on, your goal to refine, right? Is a baptized child of the Heavenly Father? I, I'm a believer in Jesus. There's some gold there, right? There's the, the new life. And God says, even the new life, even, you know, when you kind of sort of maybe are every so often humble or kind or forgiven. See, God wants to refine that gold. And that's exactly what he's doing in Jeremiah. So it's a wonderful teaching there, especially at the end of chapter 6. And so to, to lean into this a little bit more, if we're looking at these verses, Jeremiah eleven twenty and 20, verse 11, both of those verses have the word heart. 
heart. So, so God is testing, refining the heart, the heart. And I think most of our listeners know that we live in a culture that says, well, just trust your heart, follow your heart, go with your heart. Disney on ice had a, uh, a big show that would come to your town about a decade ago. Follow your heart on ice tour <laughs> to show, should we follow our heart? Go with your gut, follow your feelings. Eight times, eight times in his book, Jeremiah says the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. So it's my heart, my inner life that is deceitful above all things and beyond curve. That's Jeremiah 17, 9. So God is refining my inner life because I can't follow my heart. <laughs> my heart is the problem. My attitudes, my thought life, my emotions, all of that God is refining. Your dross to consume, your gold to refine. Uh, wonderful teaching, really, in any number of biblical books, right, about what's going on when life is undone. God's at work. God's on facton, right? The trial and tribulations draw us closer to Jesus. What does Jeremiah teach about the Christian's hope in the midst of suffering? So Jeremiah has this a wonderful pivot chapter in chapter 24, where he has a vision of a two fig baskets. His call actually begins with a couple of visions in chapter one. So now he is uh, back seeing another vision, and there are good figs and bad figs. And, and this happened, this vision, right around 597 BC, when I said earlier, this is when Jehoiachin, Ezekiel, and uh, other movers and shakers from Judah are deported to Babylon. And we learned then from chapter 25 that the good figs are not, repeat not, the people who escaped that exile, that deportation. You might think, oh my gosh, we're, we're still in the land. We still have our houses and all these other people had to move to Babylon permanently. Boy, aren't we the blessed ones of God? And Jeremiah says, nope, that's not the way it works. That's not the way the, <laughs> the kingdom of God ever works. It's always with barren women and state slaves and a ruddy runt named David with uh, just a couple rocks in his bag and a slingshot. And finally, uh, we preach Christ crucified, right? A stumbling block and folly. So God always aligns, right, with the have-nots, not the haves. It's, a, it's one of the major themes of Scripture, right? Theology of the cross. So we have that in Jeremiah chapter 24. And the hope then is for the people who have gone through the flames of exile, uh, so Jeremiah writes this letter. Uh, chapter 29 is a letter that's encased in the book. It's kind of like this a short little letter that Luke includes in Acts chapter 15 after the uh, Apostolic Council. So we have this letter, and it's within the letter written to the sufferers, who are the good figs, <laughs> um, that we have this wonderful promise, right? I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to shalom you, right? To put your broken life back together again, plans to give you hope and a future. So the recipients of the hope are not just like anybody. That's not what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. The recipients are the people 
who are the broken ones, the shattered ones, the ones who only have God to look up to. So that's where the hope lies. The hope lies with those who have no hope. The hope lies with those who are hopeless. The hope lies with people who are exiled. That's the role of Christian hope in the midst of suffering. And what a wonderful letter that is, then, in chapter 29. Dr. Reed Lessing is Professor of Theology and Ministry and Director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota. We're talking about suffering in the book of Jeremiah. And we will turn to the image of the Good Shepherd in Jeremiah next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we move farther into Luke's gospel with Simeon, Anna, and home. Boy Jesus in the temple, Jesus prepares the way. Bear fruits and baptism of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Have you thought about eternal life? When does it begin? What is eternal life? Well, your eternal life does not begin when your body, earthly body, fails and is laid into the grave. It begins, in fact, in the waters of holy baptism where you are tied to the death of Christ and in him you were raised. To learn more about this topic of eternal life, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Christ-centered, cross-focused, You're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Join Lutherans for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 19th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Go to lutheransforlife.org to learn more about LFL's Conference for Adults, LFL at the March, and the Y for Life Youth Conference in Washington, D.C. The registration deadline is December 15th. Lutherans for Life equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest. He's author of several books, including Overcoming Life Sorrows, Learning from Jeremiah. We're talking about suffering in the book of Jeremiah. Dr. Lessing, this image of both evil and a good shepherd is there in Jeremiah. Why is it especially important? Right, there are several straight predictions of Jesus in the book of Jeremiah. Certainly, we 
probably are aware of, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, the new covenant fulfilled and pointing to Christ's uh, Passover meal, the Eucharist, and the uh, the blood shed by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's a, a wonderful, if I could use this term, rectilinear prophecy, right? Straight shot to Jesus. And we have two more of those in the book of Jeremiah. In uh, chapter 23, verses of five and six. And then this is such a, a wonderful prophecy of the coming Messiah uh, that Jeremiah is going to repeat these words almost word for word. as to say, here comes the Lord, our righteousness, etc. in chapter 33, verses of 15 and 16. So those are the three sections of the book that uh, predict the coming of Christ our Lord. Within the context, though, of this uh, wonderful prediction in chapter 23, verses uh, 5 and 6, is uh, Jeremiah calling out a woe to the shepherds who are destroying God's flock. That's essentially what Jeremiah 23, 1 says. Quite often when a prophet says, woe, he's not on a roller coaster. He hasn't ordered the wrong kind of Mexican food, whatever, right? Woe means you're dead. You may be physically alive, but you're spiritually bankrupt. Jesus uses the word woe, especially in Matthew chapter 23, calling out woe to scribes and Pharisees, and hypocrites. So within this context of all these evil shepherds, bad shepherds who scatter the flock, we have this wonderful promise that the days are coming. I'm simply looking at chapter 23, verses 5 and 6 in Jeremiah, when God will raise up a righteous branch for David, a king who will reign wisely and do what is right in the land. Quite often in the ancient Near East, kings were called shepherds, and we see this uh, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, where Jesus comes as a shepherd to separate the sheep from the goats, and then he says, the king sits on his throne. Well, what is he? Is he a king or a shepherd? Well, sometimes in the Bible, it's both. It's both. So we move from shepherds and their judgment in the early part of chapter 23 of Jeremiah to the king, the Davidic king, who we also understand to be our good shepherd, Christ our Lord. In this chapter in my book, I discuss the, the great need in suffering for this good shepherd who not only cares for the sheep and tends the sheep, but he has this wonderful name, right? Yahweh Tzidkenu in the Hebrew at the end of Jeremiah 23.6. Yahweh is our righteousness, Tzidkenu. You know, I have to just say that I love listening to issues, etc. All right. The doctrine shapes my mind and the devotion deepens my heart. Almost every time I'm listening to podcasts on issues, etc., the speaker is going to accent what I'm accenting right now. That is to say, my righteous standing with the creator of heaven and earth is outside of me. It's extranos, it's juridical, it's forensic. We love all these words, don't we? Because it is the gospel. So the Lord is our, I'm not my own righteousness, and no one else can be, but this good shepherd is my righteousness. He who had no sin, right, this is Paul, 
2 Corinthians 5.21. He who had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when I'm going through a tragedy and an upheaval and a sorrow, the temptation is to think, oh my, I mean, I'm nothing. I blew it. I don't have anything to stand on now. Uh, life has no meaning, no purpose. It's just all pain, sorrow, heartache. And yet we have this promise. By grace alone, faith alone, the Lord is our righteousness. I have eternal value, eternal significance. I'm eternally justified and declared right before the Creator through this good shepherd who finally, right, in the great paradox of the Bible, became the Lamb of God shed before the creation of the world, right? slain before the creation of the world, Revelation 13, 6. And that's my hope when when I don't feel very good about myself <laughs> and life is really hitting me out of nowhere. I have this standing that gives great joy, great confidence, and it picks me up out of the depths and puts me on firm and level ground. How should we understand Jeremiah's exposition of the new covenant with a couple minutes here? Right. <laughs> it's a, as I said, it's a wonderful, like, hinge section in Jeremiah, if not the whole Old Testament. What I accent in not great detail, this isn't a commentary on Jeremiah, it's a, more of a running commentary and, and devotion, is that everything in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 has already happened in Israel's life and in Old Testament texts. That is to say, this is not a brand new covenant. It's going to be a renewed covenant. I'll be your God, you'll be my people, right? We already have that in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. I'll forgive your iniquity, remember your sin no more, right? What a great promise. Well, we have that throughout the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament. I'll inscribe my Torah, my law in your heart. Deuteronomy talks about that in chapter 7, chapter 30. David prays this way in Psalm 40. The whole point being is that God doesn't look at our lives or at Israel or Judah at this point and say, no, going to knock it down and start all over. No, he's a renewing God, reforming God, a refining God a reshaping God. He could have said, I'll make all new things the old won't do. Instead, he says, I'm making all things new. So this is a renewed covenant, obviously pointing to, as I said, the renewed covenant that is sealed in the blood of Jesus. Dr. Reed Lessing is professor of theology and ministry and director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota. He's author of several books, including Overcoming Life's Sorrows, Learning from Jeremiah. You can find this book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives or call Concordia Publishing House and order Overcoming Life's Sorrows, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Dr. Lessing, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. After the break, we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, talking with Dr. Carl Fikentcher of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, about Jesus foretelling the destruction of the temple, wars and persecution, and the destruction of Jerusalem in Luke chapter 21. He famously says, not one stone will be left on the other. I'm Todd Wilkin. 
Stay with us. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, is hosting its annual Sausage Supper on Sunday, November 13th. Carry-out meals are available beginning at 11.30 Sunday morning until 5.30 Sunday evening. St. Paul Lutheran is located three miles off of Interstate 55 on Old Route 66. St. Paul Lutheran's Carry Out Sausage Supper, 11.30 a.m. through 5.30 p.m., Sunday, November 13th, in Hamill, Illinois. This is Pastor Tyler Arnold of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village are proud to be an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. If you are in the St. Louis area, join us for the Divine Service at 8.15 or 10.45 a.m., Bible Study and Sunday School at 9.30 a.m., as we receive Christ's promise of salvation and forgiveness through word and sacrament. You can find us at villagelutheranchurch.org. Village Lutheran in St. Louis welcomes you.